We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. If you haven't made your way there, you, you can do that now. Uh, as we get underway, I want to just share some, some information with you. I've shared some of this here and there along the way, but, but it, it really does help us to have a, lay a good foundation for where we're going this morning. But in 2007, Baylor Religion Surveys at Baylor University reported this. Only 8% of regular church attenders believe that sharing their faith is very important. And then in 2016, LifeWay research reported this. 51% of U.S. churchgoers say they've never heard of the term the Great Commission. And in 2020, a national survey listed what pastors say are their top 10 church ministries encouraging or mobilizing congregations to share their faith was not listed. And we can go on and on and on uh, looking at this kind of research, these kinds of stats. But according to research, here's what we can conclude. Again, I could share a whole lot more with you. But according to research in this country, most believers have excused themselves from preaching the gospel. I just won't do it. I, I do not do that. I don't. For many, the, the thought of evangelism is so daunting and challenging and discouraging and fearful that God can do whatever he's going to do to me, but I am not doing that. I refuse to. In 2 Samuel 9, we encounter what has been described as one of the greatest expressions of grace in the Old Testament. And I would agree with that description. This chapter records the account of David showing the kindness of God to the surviving son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth. God's mercy is on full display as Mephibosheth was spared from what he deserved. But you also see God's grace on full display as he received what he didn't deserve. It's a beautiful picture. And as we walk through this chapter, what I want to do, and, and we won't get through all of it today, and that's okay. But as we walk through this, my heart is to hopefully simplify, if not tame, this beast that many of us have come to identify as evangelism. We spent some time a while back talking about leadership simplified. Now we're talking about evangelism simplified. We want to just bring it down to its most simple place, hopefully to lift the intimidation, the fear. And once again, whenever you're looking at something like this, it never ceases to surprise me just how simple it is. I think we complicate things, and, but as we just walk through the Word of God, I think we're going to see very clearly, even today, uh, we're going to get very kid town, if you would, in terms of our focus. But we need to see this because the Word of God has it for us here. You can't miss it as you walk through this. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. 
And when they had called unto him, David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness or the kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Now, from a doctrinal perspective, I want to make sure that we capture what is in front of us In chapter 8, we saw last week just the expansion of the kingdom. We saw that it was very aggressive, it was was very large, you could see God at work, and that expansion happened like it happens historically, through war and and conquest. That's what you see there in chapter 8. Chapter 8 closes with David officially appointing key men to key positions of ministry in his kingdom. Men who are going to rule and reign with him in his kingdom. So in that, we see a very clear picture of the millennial reign of Christ, where some in the church age are going to rule and reign with Christ during that time. So you see that picture there. And once the enemies of Christ are defeated at the second advent and the kingdom is installed, one of the traits that will be visible during the millennial reign of Christ, you ready, is kindness. Kindness. This will be on display. Would you turn to Isaiah 54? I just want you to see this. As you're on your way there, The doctrinal scope of what we're about to look at here in Isaiah 54 is Israel's restoration at the second advent of Christ. That is the doctrinal scope of what we're about to read. Isaiah 54, beginning in verse 7. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, that's Israel, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountain shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Now, one of the things I do want you to see, because this is absolutely of emphasis in 2 Samuel chapter 9, I want you to see the clear connection between kindness and mercy. There is a clear connection there, and we're going to see that very clearly in this chapter. But in the millennial kingdom, both Israel and the Gentiles are going to be recipients. They're going to experience, if you would, the kindness of Christ. He is a kind Savior. He is a kind Messiah. That is who He is. So in chapter 8, we see the enemy defeated. 
We see the kingdom established. We see men appointed to positions of leadership to rule and reign in the kingdom. And then what follows that is you have this, 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 this picture now where now you see grace, you see kindness, you see mercy that is being dispersed on someone who desperately need it. So in these opening verses, if we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, looking at what we've seen so far, this brings us to what is so simple. I almost feel the need to apologize for even saying it to you. But it's so clear and it's so visible. Listen. If we're going to evangelize, if we're going to do the work of an evangelist, if we're going to be faithful stewards of the gospel, get ready. We have to be kind believers. We have to be kind believers. How simple is that? It doesn't get any, again, this is evangelism simplified. It it doesn't get any more simpler than that, does it? It's been years ago now, but I was taking a college course, and I had to read a book. Some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may have read it, but it was titled, it's a long title, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Uncommon Thoughts on Common Things. The book focuses on the very basic lessons that we learned in kindergarten and just how applicable they are to us or should be to us as adults. Things like sharing, things like playing nicely, things like not hitting people, things like cleaning up after ourselves, things like saying I'm sorry when we've hurt someone. I mean, just think about how different our news would be if people just applied that. Think about how different our churches would be if we just applied the very basic things that Arnold led us to prayer about this morning. If we all just embrace those basic things that we saw in Ephesians that many of us are like, oh yeah, I know that and we're, and we're kind of quick to check out because we know it. But, but let me ask you this, do your relationships say that you know it? Do your relationships <laughs> say that you get the heart of Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 that we looked at this morning. That's what really matters. One of those Christ-like traits that we see in Scripture is kindness. It's a beautiful trait. It glorifies God. It edifies people both saved and unsaved. Which brings me to establish this, because I I have to say this, because, again, one of the things that you learn along the way in in public speaking is to know your audience, right? So I think I know mine, which compels me to say what I'm about to say to you. In the eyes of God, knowledge of deep things excuses no one from living basic things. Somewhere along the way, we've done some bad math that says because I'm just short of a Bible genius, I am excused from something so trivial and childish, and aren't they covering that in Kittown? 
I mean, kindness, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, let's get on the bigger and greater things in the Bible. In the first seven verses of this great chapter, the word kindness shows up three times. I mean, it is an emphasis. It is something that God wants us to see. Guys, I, I'm serious. I, I, am, I, am, I find more and more that I am burdened. I am burdened over how we gloss over things like this and even excuse ourselves from it. And we can behave so contrary to it. And we can't seem to recognize that God isn't okay with it. He's not okay with it. God is not, God doesn't excuse us from being kind because we know the Bible so well. He doesn't. David wanted to show kindness to anyone who was left of the house of Saul, but to show kindness, we have to be kind. You have to be a kind person. David was at this point. At this point, he was kind. Now, as we keep turning the pages, he's going to show some other things that aren't so kind. But would you turn back to chapter 2? David at this point, uh, he, um, he, 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 he wore the attire of kindness. It was an emphasis for him. 2 Samuel 2, we would have walked through this before, but verse 5. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. So David was, was basically commending them for their handling of the burial of Saul. Verse 6, And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Now, these folks, this group to the north of where David would have been at this time, they aligned themselves with Abner, who wasn't being kind, who didn't show kindness to David, who sowed discord and divided the kingdom. David could have gone to war with them. But instead, he says, I want to repay you with kindness for how you handle the burial of Saul. I don't want to go to war with you. How often, how often to the grieving of the Spirit of God in the church, how often do we so quickly choose war over kindness with one another? So quickly. I mean, just like David here in 2 Samuel chapter 2, he had two choices. He could have gone to war or he could have showed kindness. Is this not how this plays out in marriage as well? Where we can show kindness or we can go to war. David could have destroyed Jonathan's son. But instead, 
He chose kindness. David was a man after God's own heart, which meant he had a heart that was like God's. God's heart is kind. That being said, please, I need you to hear this. Kindness is a trait of godly people. It is a trait of godly people. It is. Would you notice in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, this is clarified for us. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of who? God. The kindness of God unto him. Kindness is a trait of God, which is why it is a trait that shows up in the life of a godly person, because it is a trait of God. Kindness is in the family of mercy, as we've seen, and we'll see, but listen. Kindness is also a very close relative of love. A very close relative. Uh, Look at these verses. Proverbs 25, verse 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy, say it with me, loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Psalm 36, verse 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for what? Thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And listen, the apostle Paul clearly got the same memo. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, what does he say? Charity suffereth long and is what? Kind. Kind. Charity is envious not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Listen, if the Holy Spirit of God, as we're walking through the Word of God this morning, if the Holy Spirit of God is revealing to you that you are not kind, listen to me very carefully, that ought to absolutely terrify you. It ought to terrify you. Why is that? Because if you're not kind, here's what that means. What that means is you are not like God. It means you're ungodly. Because God is kind. He's kind. We said last week, to win people to Christ, we must be what? Winsome. To win people to Christ, we must be winsome. Listen, kind believers are winsome people. They're winsome. They are a delight to be around. Even when you don't see eye to eye on something, they're delightful. They're kind. 
Consider Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Would you also agree that kindness is also closely related to grace? You better believe it is. Absolutely. So hear this. We cannot win anyone to the Lord by being ungracious and unkind in speech and behavior. It's not going to happen. No matter how right we are in the debate (laughs) that we might have with them. If we're not being gracious, if we aren't kind, no matter how right we are, listen, guys, people today, and when I say people, I'm talking about people in the world, and I'm talking about believers in the church. People today are angry, contentious, and they're very frustrated. This is the score. This is where people are. I'm talking about not just the world. I'm talking about people who sit in churches like this who are just smothered with Bible teaching. And they're angry. And they're contentious. And very frustrated. Listen. Just being genuinely kind will open gospel doors for you. Just being genuinely kind to someone will open doors of opportunity for the gospel. Just being kind. Why? Because that really is peculiar (laughs) today. This is why it is so perplexing and disheartening for me to watch believers quarrel with unbelievers over issues that Satan is only using to drive the unbeliever further away from the gospel and this arrogant, childish, immature, carnal believer can't see that the devil is using them to be totally complicit in driving this unbeliever away from the gospel. They are so locked in and so focused on making sure they win this debate that they have actually partnered with the devil to push this unbeliever a step closer to hell. But they got their point across. (laughs) Wow. Sometimes, it might be evident to you, but sometimes I I really do, I, I wrestle in my approach in terms of preparing a message. I I struggle and I'll come to something like this and I think, Lord, this is so basic. I so my initial approach will be just to say, okay, I'll just I'll just touch it and go. I I won't spend a lot of time on it. Because I mean this is Midtown Baptist Temple. I'm gonna stand before life fellowship and talk about kindness. 
They're going to throw rocks at me. They're going to throw rocks at me. Right? Until a critical question like this surfaces in my mind. And then I slow down and go, okay, God, what is it that you want me to see and share? Here it is. How can we be kind to unbelievers if we are unkind to believers? You, you don't become a different person. You are who you are. I am who I am. But if we can't be kind to one another, how are we ever going to be kind to an unbeliever who is going to disagree with us on a number of things? Who doesn't think like us, doesn't speak like us, doesn't act like us, and we can't even be kind to people who agree with us and believe what we believe. Unkindness is not winsome. <laughs> never has been, never will be. That sounds overly basic, but, but, but once again, when you, when you come to the Word of God, can we just consider for just a moment some of the things that the Apostle Paul actually wrote to New Testament local churches comprised of people just like us who have been saved by grace through faith? Would you consider some of the things that he actually wrote to them? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 6, But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. <laughs> the church at Corinth had become so divided, so contentious, that they were taking one another <laughs> to secular court to settle their differences. How kind was that? We're... We're observing the Lord's Supper this week, and next week I, I've got you in court. I'm suing you, brother, sister. I mean, listen, I, I, some, of the things that, some of the things that we have in our history is just, I, I don't have words to capture how is it that people can know the Bible that way and yet treat one another like that? Help me, please. Galatians 5.15 But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15 See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Why would the Apostle Paul need to write any of that to believers who have been saved by grace through faith? Because if we're not walking in the Spirit of God, we will bite, we will devour, we will consume one another, we'll also render evil for evil toward believers and unbelievers. Because we're not kind. 
Do you understand that if you're not kind, I want you to hear this. If you're not a kind, if, 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 if I'm telling you, if you are not kind, I promise you, in your wake, in your wake, are people who have been emotionally, intellectually, and God forbid, physically eviscerated by you. You can be cold. You can say things that cut and hurt and wound deeply. Insensitive, harsh, We're talking about things that have no association with kindness whatsoever. And you're okay with it because you're a scholar. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Folks, listen, we, we can pray, we can strategize. Um, about evangelism. But if what comes out of that is a sharp-tongued, abrasive, arrogant, gospel-preaching believer, at best, we're a comedy act. At best, we're a comedy act. There's much more I can say here about this, but before we transition to this next point, I, I do need you to hear this because th this is really, this is where the issue surfaces and this is really where the rubber meets the road in this conversation about kindness. Being kind is not an issue for most believers until there is a disagreement. Nobody has an issue with anything I'm saying up until uh, up until there's a disagreement. Up until something happens that doesn't go my way or I don't understand or I don't agree with or fill in the blank. Now, kindness goes out the window and the flesh says, I got it from here. Listen, here's what a godly Spirit-filled believer understands, and this is how they walk. A godly, spirit-filled believer understands that a disagreement is not licensed for me to become unkind. It doesn't excuse me from kindness because you disappointed me, or because you took a different position than I took, because you let me down, or whatever, fill in the blank. Some are all in at Midtown Baptist Temple, and they're all in on life fellowship, until. Until there's a disagreement. Until then. And in anger and bitterness, they burn rubber. Going to the next place. Listen, everyone has a free will to go wherever you feel you need to go 
and be wherever you need to be. No one is being held hostage here, but know this. Wherever that place is, a disagreement is going to emerge. It's going to emerge. And if you're not kind, then guess what you're going to do? You're going to handle and address that disagreement the way that you've always addressed it, carnality. You will be abrasive. You will be hurtful. You will be contentious. You will fight. You will divide. You will kick and you will scream to make sure everybody knows where you're coming from. Brothers and sisters, I have been absolutely embarrassed by unbelievers watching how unkind we can be toward one another. And you know what that does? All that does is devalue the gospel to an unbeliever. Because if people in church treat each other that way, what, what am I missing? What am I missing? Okay. In the time I have left, evangelism also calls for keeping believers. Would you look at verse 1 again of chapter 9? David said that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now for this, we need to turn back to 1 Samuel to get the gist of what's in view here. But 1 Samuel chapter 20, if you want to be turning there, you're like, why are we turning our pages today? Well, because I can't fit all the verses on all the words on the screen. I'm sorry. But you're going to be kind about it, right? You're not going to like throw rocks at me and... None of that, right? We'll be good, right? Okay, very good. First Samuel 20, beginning in verse 14. And thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not even, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Jonathan knew that David was going to be the next king of Israel. But he also knew this. He also knew what that meant during that time for the sons of the former king. Extermination. He knew that. He knew that. But David was mindful of the covenant that he made with Jonathan about this. 2 Samuel 21.7 will get here, but... But the king spared Mephibosheth. Why? The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. 
and showing kindness to the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake, here's what David was doing. David was looking to keep his word. He was looking to keep his word. He had made this covenant. We spent weeks looking at standing on the promises of God, and any time we, we, we look at the promises of God, inevitably, we, and as we should, we, we focus on the fact that God is a promise-keeping God, that God keeps his word, that God would never break his word, and, and yes, that's why we can stand on those promises, but, but here's the question for us today. Do you keep God's word? Do you keep God's word? God's always going to keep his word. God is a promise-keeping God, but are you a promise-keeping believer? Do you keep what God has given you from his word? Here's what we mean. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. 1 Timothy 1.11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Something's been entrusted to you. Are you keeping it? Would you agree that trust is the foundation of a covenant? Yeah, it is. When a covenant is made between two parties, they are trusting one another to uphold their responsibilities of that covenant, right? This is what we do at the wedding altar, right? We make a covenant. God has entrusted something to every believer, the gospel. The gospel. He has upheld his responsibilities in it. He's giving you a gospel to preach because of Calvary. But he didn't stop there. He's also indwelt you with his spirit so that you have the power to actually do it. So God has upheld his part, his responsibility in the gospel. But here's the question. Are you keeping the gospel that God has committed to you? And by keeping it, (laughs) here's where we're going. The only way to properly keep the gospel is to faithfully preach it. But if you're going to do that, if I'm going to do that, then we're going to be in the great majority in this country, aren't we? Because as we started this morning, most believers have excused themselves from preaching the gospel. They're not keeping believers. We are not properly keeping the gospel if we're not preaching it. Now, stay with me. Stay with me, because this is, I'm, I'm almost done, I'm watching the clock, but, but I can't have you check out here, because this is, I want you to get this, okay? I need to get this. Listen very carefully. Our stewardship of the gospel 
is directly tied to our personal character. It is tied to our personal character. Had David killed Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, it would have been a mark against his character. Why? Because he would have broken his word. He had made a covenant with Jonathan that he would not do that. He would have broke his word. That would have been a character flaw. So, what does it say about me? What does it say about you? When Jesus died for our sins, saved us, gave us a gospel to preach, and dwelt us with the Spirit of God, so he has empowered us to preach it, has commanded us to go, and we don't do it. What does that say about our character? God, I'm so grateful that I have benefited from the gospel. Woo! Man, that's some great eternal insurance. But oh God, it's just, it's just so hard in America today. It's just, nobody wants to hear it, and people are just, you know, I just, and Lord, I've tried here and there, and, and Lord, I, I just don't know that I know enough about the Bible, and I, and I just, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my brother in the Lord, Brian Clark, on the postscript, did a fantastic interview. This guy has planted a church in one, in one of the hardest grounds in the world to reach people, London, England. And I, I, I put in the WhatsApp chat, hey guys, I bet, please listen to this. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands Amen. of how many people who listen to it. Yes. Yes. But it's... You talk about evangelism simplified. I just could have played that interview this morning and sat down. That would have been much better. <laughs> right, John? He's nodding like, yeah, yeah. So I, you're nodding. So you're saying I should sit down? Is that... <laughs> well, no comment. How about nonverbal communication? The nodding. <laughs> That's the comment, bro. You're sitting next to him. You're like, yeah, bro, sit down. Brian, get up. (laughs) Here's what it says. It says the Lord is keeping his word. But we're not keeping the gospel. Many are doing a fine job keeping the knowledge of what happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Many are doing very well in their stewardship of the identity of the sons of God in the Old Testament. And more than a few are very astute when it comes to reconciling the books of Daniel and Revelation. They are killing it. But so many in those camps have not only gone days, weeks, months, but more than a few have even gone years without preaching the gospel to anyone. They've not kept the gospel that was committed to their trust by God himself and in pure arrogance. 
they believe that their vast knowledge of the Bible excuses them from such basic things like preaching the gospel. So that's for those who just get saved and they're just so excited and they want to just tell everybody about Jesus and then they can bring those people to me so I can vomit all over them with all that I know about the Bible. To that I say, God forbid. Lord, this morning... Uh, We've heard your word. God, we have stared kindness in the face. God, it would grieve you to the core if we were touched by the Spirit of God to say, hey, your heart's hard. Your words are hard. Your mind is critical and judgmental and unkind toward others. God, it would be devastating for us to come face to face with that and justify why it doesn't apply. But as we're seeing in this beautiful portrait of grace in the Old Testament, God, kindness is absolutely a major player in evangelism. We have to be kind. We have to be like you if we're going to be winsome and win people to you. But not just that. Lord, we've got to be people of character and integrity. You have entrusted something to us that is invaluable to you, and it's the gospel. And God, if we're not faithfully preaching it, if we're not stewarding the gospel, then God, we're not keeping it. And that, too, is grievous to you. And so, Father, as we walk through this, as we continue walking through this, help us to embrace how you're looking to deal with our hearts and our minds. Lord, that is critical in looking at this thing, this animal called evangelism. Help us to embrace however you're looking to work with us, deal with us, Lord, that we, for your glory, can be fruitful coming out of this. In Jesus' name, amen.